0: So we're about midway through a series called Romans in Reverse, and we're studying Paul's letter to the Roman churches. But we started at the end so that we can get to know the congregation better. Chapter 16, 14, and 15, and and now we're going to read through the first half of the letter so for the next three weeks we're going to be in Romans 1 2 and 3 Uh, and each week for the next three weeks I'm going to bring out a different theme that comes from these chapters they kind of all work together so I encourage you to read those chapters on your own sometime this coming week or several times throughout the next three weeks it's great stuff good theology that Paul gets into but this week we're going to look at the first point that Paul makes after his initial greetings to the church and it's a message that can be summed up in just three words y'all need Jesus Justin's got a shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. You might have seen him wearing this, and here he is modeling it for us. Looking good there, Justin. This phrase has kind of become a colloquialism that some people say when they they run across a little bit of crazy in their life or somebody who's making bad choices. That person might see somebody doing something dumb and shake their head and go, oh man, y'all need Jesus. And in that sense, it may seem like an accusation or a judgment against someone else. And you know as well as I do that when Justin wears this shirt, that's not the spirit behind it. That's not what he means by this. It's not a word of condemnation, in fact. It's a uh, a fact. We all need Jesus. As we've been studying Romans in reverse, starting with the church and trying to understand the people and their personalities, their hangups, their issues, we see that this is an informed message from Paul. It speaks to what was actually going on in the church in rome and we know that there were some people in the church who were prideful about their jewish heritage and they wanted to hold gentile christians to the same standard of law keeping and tradition upholding these people were prideful they were judgy they might have said things like oh man y'all need torah y'all need kosher oh you guys let me tell you y'all need circumcision so right at the beginning of paul's letter he kind of sets a trap for those people who are prideful, thinking that their faithfulness to God and then their obedience to God is the thing that leads them to salvation and right standing in the eyes of God. This trap that he sets kind of reminds me of some of the word tricks that we used to play on each other as kids. We used to ask each other these trick questions, like you'd lead someone to a certain answer to a question, but it was a trick question, so when they gave the wrong answer, you could pounce on them, and you could say, ha-ha, no, that's the wrong answer. I asked you guys to share some of these trick questions with me this week, and here are some of the responses I got. Thanks for sharing those this week, you guys. My favorite one, when I was a kid, and now I still tell this sometimes, is you ask somebody, which weighs more, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers? The person will think, well, bricks weigh more than feathers, so a ton of bricks weighs more. And you go, no, that's wrong. They weigh the same. It's a ton is a ton, whether it's bricks or feathers. I fooled you. Here's how Paul sets the trap for the Romans he lures them in by emphasizing the waywardness of the Gentile the description that he gives here is of the classic wrongdoer this is a description that would have really offended a devout Jewish person in Paul's day it would get them really fired up as they read this going like yeah yeah that's right oh man does that person need Jesus So as I read this section, I want you to picture people hearing this for the first time, just getting their pitchforks and torches ready, and they become more and more offended by what Paul is describing here. This is Romans 1, 18 through 32. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful, They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So these people are really, really fired up at this point. And then you get to chapter two where Paul hits them with the big reveal. Aha, but guess what? You do this too. And you even have knowledge of God and you still don't keep his law. You're guilty of having a stubborn, unrepentant hearts. You do the very stuff you instruct others not to do. You may have outward signs of being faithful to God, but you aren't. And so it turns out you're not immune to it at all. You all need Jesus. Paul might have learned this setting the trap method from the history of the life of King David. You remember after David killed Uriah and stole his wife, Nathan the prophet comes to David and gets him all fired up, telling him this story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, grew with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Well, now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. Instead... He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David is so mad at this offender. He says, that's terrible. This man should be punished for what he did. And then Nathan reveals to him the point. You are that man. That's exactly what you did. And the prophet Amos uses this same rhetorical device in the first two chapters of his writings. There's all these pronouncements of judgment against Israel's neighbors. It says, for the sins of places like Damascus, I will not relent. I'm gonna send fire on places like Tyre and Edom, Ammon, Moab. The Lord's gonna send fire and destroy these cities because you're evil and you're wicked. And you can just hear Israel here going, yeah, yeah, those guys are rotten. You get them, Lord. And all through chapter one and all through chapter two, it's all these indictments against their enemies. He's whipping them up into this fervor. And he says, okay, you ready to hear the next indictment? Yeah, yeah, tell us who's next. He says, God's going to send fire on Judah and Jerusalem because you guys have been just as wicked. You've taken advantage of the poor. You've been led astray by false gods. You guys are just as bad. And it's that same surprise that Paul serves up to them here. You are no better. We all stand guilty. We're all under the rule of sin and evil. A ton of bricks and a ton of feathers weigh the same. A ton is a ton. This is Paul's main point to make. And remember, this is not just ideas thrown out there for whomever thinks they might apply to them. It's written to a Jew and Gentile church in Rome where pride and pedigree were still a big problem. Where some still believe that being reconciled to God had anything to do with their good behavior or their status as Abraham's descendants. We are this, they would say, so we're special. Or we do this, so we're better. And Paul says, nope. We all need Jesus. My buddy Tommy did a cool illustration with his kids this past Easter Sunday. I think it describes pretty concisely what Paul is pointing to here at the beginning of Romans. So check out this illustration.
1: Hi guys, I'm here with my sons James and Jacob, and we're excited to share a little illustration about what we're celebrating at Easter. Now, imagine that this is us. We look okay, but the truth is, is we have sin in our lives, and that sin kind of, it stains us. There's nothing that we can do on our own to make that stain go away. Now we can try to do some good deeds, we can be really kind and helpful, and that's great, but all it does is dilute the sin. It it still doesn't make it go away. That's because we can't make it go away on our own. The truth is, is we need Jesus in our lives. So when we invite Jesus into our lives, watch what happens. only jesus has the power to make us clean again and it's not just a one-time thing Uh, this is an ongoing power of jesus in our lives is that even in the future when we mess up his power is still enough to protect us and to cover us that's called grace See, what happened is when Jesus took our sins on us on the cross and when he took them to the grave on Easter, today, we celebrate Jesus coming back from the dead, but you know what? He left the sins in that tomb. The sins are still dead. The sins have no power over Jesus. Let's watch this. Whoa. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Sin has no power over Jesus. And when we have Jesus in our lives, it has no power over us either. And that's what we're celebrating today on Easter. Bye, guys. Happy Easter.
0: Happy Easter. Paul is reminding the church we all need Jesus. It wasn't just Gentiles who have marks on their records. It's Jews as well. It's everyone. We're all in the same boat here. Lately, we've all experienced what it's like to be in the same boat with the coronavirus disrupting our world and impacting so many people. I don't know about you, but when I read about world leaders and celebrities and millionaires all sheltering pla- in place just like me or even getting sick with COVID-19, it's pretty sobering. Everyone is being impacted. It turns out no one is special. Well, the same is true about the way that sin and death impacts people it's a problem that affects everyone no matter how clean you try to get your hands or how good you think you are or who your father is we're going to talk more about this next week because we focus in specifically on salvation being saved from the problem of sin and death and what Jesus did with that but as I read through these first three chapters in Paul there's two things that jump out at me the first thing is simply that everyone needs Jesus Paul is reminding these roman churches that christianity isn't just a jewish thing It's an everybody thing in some people's minds following jesus required a certain number of specific prerequisites paul says, you know, the only prerequisite for Following jesus is his death and resurrection and he already took care of that. So check When I was in high school, I played drums in a christian rock band Uh, It was me and two other guys from the youth group. We wrote our own Jesus songs and we would play concerts in people's front yards and stuff like that. Well, we booked our first big show at an actual club, had big stage and lights, and this big loud sound system. So we were excited. We made flyers to pass out to people. I took my stack of flyers and gave them to pretty much everybody in the youth group, some adults from church. And then I took my stack of flyers to school and I didn't quite give out as many. I handed them out to a few friends there but i remember that i was really picky about who i gave a flyer to i think ah you know not her she probably wouldn't want to come oh not those guys over there they're they're not into jesus oh definitely not that guy he's pretty rough around the edges it wouldn't go so well with the christian rock crowd but our bass player alex he had a different Approach we had the same last period class and I remember that day at school. He came in. And he said hey Do you still have any flyers left? And I was like, yeah I got a bunch and he grabbed them and he just started passing them out to every single person that he saw Here you go. Come see our band. Hey, come and check us out. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go And they were gone in seconds It stood out to me that day how he seemed to have no filters for inviting people to Christ. I seem to have a lot. For him, everyone was welcome. Everyone was invited. He wanted people to hear our music and our message and be exposed to Jesus one way or another, no matter where they were at. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. My friend Alex really believed that. I wonder if I still struggle with some of that same hesitation that I had in high school with my stack of flyers. Do I shy away from opportunities to share the good news about salvation in Christ because I've already screened people out or I've already answered the question for them? Yeah, she probably wouldn't come. Oh, those guys aren't interested. Uh, that person's a little too rough around the edges. Y'all probably don't need Jesus. If so, then that's the kind of thing Paul is speaking to here The good news from the resurrection of Jesus is good news for Jews and Gentiles, for saints and for sinners, for the shy and the bold, the young and the old, world leaders, celebrities, millionaires, from the ragged to the richest, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And that leads me to the second thing that jumps out in these first chapters. And it's simply that Christians have a need for humility. We need to change our y'all need Jesus to a we all need Jesus. I think Paul sets the trap in chapter one to help Christians avoid an even bigger trap, that of becoming conceited, prideful, and even judgmental in our faith in Christ. Paul touches on this issue throughout the letter, making us realize that this was and can still be a major temptation that Jesus' followers need to avoid. That's why you can't read Romans chapter 1 without Romans chapter 2. These all, first three chapters all work together. If you stop at the end of Romans 1, then you could be left feeling the way Paul's audience might have felt when he read the description of sinful humanity. Yeah, those sinners sure need Jesus. If we do that, we miss the point. The point that we all need Jesus. So the challenge today is to change your heart from one of judgment to one of compassion. To put down your pitchfork and say, man, I just, I want people to know this good news of Jesus that changed my life in so many amazing ways. Some of the best results that I've had in inviting people to follow Christ was when I invited them not to walk behind me, but to walk with me. Let's do this together. Let's figure out what it means uh, as brothers or sisters. That same bass player from my band, Alex, he became a follower of Jesus when he started coming to church and when the two of us started deciding that we should stop doing some stupid stuff together. Things that were against the law, things that were not honoring God. Uh, But we helped each other. We figured out what it meant to be faithful to the Lord together, side by side, trial and error. Justin and I are constantly keeping each other sharp in the same way, challenging each other to be better husbands, fathers, ministers, We make some progress, we grow, and then maybe we slip, maybe we fail, but we get up and we try again. And I do this with Lisa, too. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of practice with love and forgiveness in my marriage. Oh yes, no shortage of opportunities for self-improvement there. Or Lisa and I pray for each other when we're discouraged. We see more of each other's failures than anyone else gets to see, and yet we exercise a lot of grace together. It's good practice, what it means to follow Jesus. I think that this is what Paul wants for the church. Not to be divided, not to be hierarchical, but growing together. For everyone sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, makes, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. I hope we can live in a way that reflects this belief. I want to end this morning by having you spend some time praying about this. Whether you're with people there in your your house or whether you're by yourself, just spend some time asking the Lord to soften your heart for people that you might have a judgmental attitude toward. I want you to celebrate the joy of knowing Christ and pray for others to come to know that joy as well. You might remember a while back, I gave you some cards that uh, had an invitation on them, inviting you to find someone who's different from you, somebody that maybe you're standoffish with, and invite them to share a meal together. Well, given our current circumstances, that probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. But I made a quarantine edition of the You're Invited card. Uh, however you do it, I want to encourage you this week to take a step towards someone you've been avoiding or someone you've been distant from. Because the good news of Jesus Christ closes distances. It makes neighbors out of acquaintances, and it makes family out of enemies. So right now, as we close out, spend a few minutes in your home praying about that. Hope to see you guys again soon. I hope you have a great week.